Amy Haddad, really just Jonah. I guess Amy's been up here a number of times, and she would be awesome to introduce as well, but unfortunately, we're only going to bring up Jonah today. Jonah and Amy are members of Bergen Park Church. They were a part members of Bergen Park Church back, served as an elder back when they were attending at Denver Seminary, if that's correct. And now this guy's finishing up his dissertation, so he's kind of up there. He's a smart guy, so he's really bright. Uh, but I'll tell you, the thing I love about uh, spending time with him, I've actually been had the privilege of spending every Friday in the Word with Jonah and just getting to know him, getting to know his heart and the passion that God has for them to serve. Now they're going to be moving to Paris, from Lyon, France, to Paris. And so they're here raising support. And so my plea to you is, is to, as you get to know Jonah and Amy, prayerfully consider giving to them. I always encourage people, if you've never given to Bergen Park, maybe the place to start is giving to a missionary. Or maybe you've never given to a missionary, just thinking, hey, maybe just $10 a month is a simple gift to start at, or, or 25 or whatever you want to, whatever the Lord leads you to. I'd encourage you to consider that, to be a part of, of seeing the gospel, to go out to a community that does not know Christ. And so, Jonah, you want to come up? I want to pray for you. I'm excited you get the opportunity this morning, and we get the opportunity to listen to you and and be blessed by you. So let, let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for the words that say when we speak, we should speak as speaking the words of God. And in serving, we serve with the strength that God provides so that in everything, God may be praised. And so, Father, may you be praised as Jonah communicates these words. Holy Spirit, would we, would we be receptive, would we even just be humble. I ask in Jesus' name for the lies of the world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. In Jesus' name, would it fade? And with the sweetness of your presence and your power and your word, speak to us through Jonah. Thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Jason. Thank you all. It's always a joy to open up the word with you and, and study God's word together. So... And it's been a joy being back here at Bergen Park Church. We're loving being here in Colorado this year and really just enjoying our experience here. So anyway, I've been doing some reading recently on the human brain, on the functions of the human brain. It's been interesting. I've learned a lot about the brain. Apparently, the human brain is estimated to comprise over 85 billion brain cells, 85 billion brain cells. Um, each brain cell, or neuron as they're called, can transmit about a thousand nerve impulses per second and make tens of thousands of synaptic contacts with other cells. And apparently what all of this means in layman's terms is that the brain is capable of producing or generating 50,000 thoughts per day. 50,000 thoughts per day. Now, I'm not exactly sure how neurologists measure where one thought ends and another begins, but assuming that we do produce 50,000 thoughts per day, that, that's a lot. It's a lot of thinking. Neurologists are finding that your brain storage capacity is virtually unlimited. It doesn't get used up the way that uh, the storage space in a, in a computer would be used up. Apparently, recently in Japan, some scientists, some engineers, came up with a, a supercomputer, the most powerful supercomputer in the world. And even this supercomputer requires about 40 minutes to do what the average human brain can do in a second. So all that to say the human brain is an amazing organ. Yet human thought is not limited to the physical brain. 
Now, as Christians, as theists, as people who believe in God, um, it's safe to say that we are uh, what you could call substance dualists. That is, we believe in a material reality, that the body or the, the brain, as well as the immaterial mind, okay? And the mind is this immaterial um, cognitive ability, or the, the, the immaterial cognitive faculties of uh, things like consciousness, imagination, thought, perception, moral judgment, and the like. Not only can we know things, we can know that we know things. We're sentient. We're aware. This is what the Bible refers to as the imago Dei in Genesis. If you go back to Genesis 1, the imago Dei, the image of God, this ability to think and to process in ways that animals cannot do. We have a, a capacity for imagination, for creativity, uh, things of that nature. So together, the marvel of the human mind and brain set humans apart from other creatures and give us an amazing capacity for thought. We're, we're, we're capable of producing significant quantities of useful information, and we're capable of producing significant quantities of filth as well, to tell you the truth. Our cognitive faculties are capable of producing both good as well as evil thoughts. So as we continue our study of Paul's epistle to the Philippian church today, Paul is asking that we consider here the life of the mind. He's inviting us to contemplate a little bit this, this Christian thought life and what that means, what that looks like. So I want to take you into Philippians chapter 4 today. We'll pick up where Jason left off last week. I'm going to look at verses 8 and 9. So Philippians chapter 4. Verses 8 and 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, I ask that you would open our eyes this morning that we might see wondrous things in your word. Would you grant that my lips would de declare the truth, and the truth of your word, that we might delight in your grace, that we might walk according to your laws that we might understand on a deeper level the gospel and its implications in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, before we, we get into, into these verses in, in more detail and look at how they might apply to us uh, today in the 21st century, um, I need to give you some crucial background information. We need to situate these verses in their cultural context, in their linguistic context, in their historic, theological context and philosophical context. This is important work um, before we, we get into the content here, because verse 8, honestly, is a, is a familiar verse. I wouldn't be surprised if most of you have heard uh, this verse before, if not many times uh, in the past. It's a coffee mug verse, right? It's one of those famous Philippians coffee mug verses. It's a Christian t-shirt uh, verse. Um, but it's also a very difficult verse. It's brimming with meaning, and so we need to do a little bit of work here. 
Um, because if we're not careful, what ends up happening is we read this verse, uh, verse 8, and we think, okay, that's nice. Think positive thoughts. Um, think happy thoughts. Be optimistic. And then we write the verse on our coffee mug, and we move on. But I would encourage you, to, let's not put this one on a coffee mug just yet. We need to really do some work here before we get to that point. So let me just give you a few thoughts about the context of Philippians 4, verse 8. Um, first of all, this list of adjectives used by the Apostle Paul in verse 8 should not necessarily be read as a list of virtues or morals that are internal or subjective to us. In the linguistic context of this passage, these are not virtues that we are supposed to put into practice necessarily. Rather, these are descriptive terms pointing to some kind of external or objective reality on which we are to think. In other words, we're not looking at truth for the sake of truth, or that which is honorable for the sake of that which is honorable, or those kinds of things. We're looking to where these things ultimately point us, to a greater reality, a higher reality. So the truth is pointing us to something even greater, a source of truth, okay? That which is honorable is pointing us to the source of that honorable thing. So we're, we're, we're intended here to put our thoughts on these higher realities. So that's the first thing I would mention. The second thing that's important here is that this list of adjectives in, uh, in verse 8 is distinctly Greco-Roman. Okay, It's not Hebrew. The context here is Greco-Roman. Paul is writing to a Roman colony in Macedonia. He's writing to Romans and Greeks in a Greek territory. The names that you see at the beginning of chapter 4, when Paul addresses the, the, the congregation, these are Greek names. He's writing to Greeks with Greek presuppositions, Greek uh, philosophy, a Greek background. Okay? And that's really important here, because when we think about the true, the noble, the worthy, the pure, the just, the excellent, the praiseworthy, all of these things, these concepts are common within Platonic and Stoic philosophy. Okay, Paul is borrowing these concepts from Platonic and Stoic thought, and he's applying them within a Christian uh, vision, a Christian worldview. So as values, these terms represent the aspiration of your average kind of Greek or, or, or Roman citizen. This is what the Greek warrior philosopher aspired to, the true, the noble, the excellent, the beautiful, that kind of thing. This is what the Roman public servant aspired to. This is what the Roman paterfamilias, the head of the household, represented to his family, these higher, more noble virtues, these great high things. So in Platonic thinking, that is the thought coming from, from Plato, a Greek philosopher, um, this emphasized here awareness of the higher forms, these ideals that were beyond human beings. Okay, in Stoic thought, um, Stoic uh, thought aspired to wisdom that was free of the lower carnal passions. So again, all of these things listed by Paul here are pointing us to a higher reality, to these ideals that are above and beyond us. And Paul takes all of this and he situates it within a Christian context. And he says, if you really want to get to that ideal, to that higher level, that higher form, you need to know God. If you want to know the truth, Think about that higher, greater thing. What is the source of that truth? Ultimately, God. He's pointing us to God. He's pointing us to Christ. He's pointing us to the gospel. So this list of adjectives, and I can't emphasize this enough because it's, it's really important.